With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine, and John DeGeese joins me from Chicago as we enter another week without racing on uh, real racetracks. Still plenty going on in the virtual world and plenty of news happening behind the scenes as well. John, how are you holding up and uh, ready to dive into the week of news? Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right, let's do it. Uh, starting with some e-racing news from over the weekend, or over the week, I guess uh, that was, because we had IMSA racing once again, as they're doing on a bi-weekly basis now on Thursdays. And uh, it was another BMW-dominated event in round number two, John, just like we saw at Sebring. This time, Bruno Spangler picking up the win. So uh, I know you were covering that event, and uh, what were your impressions of what we saw from IMSA's second offering in the esports realm? Well, this was a much more polished-up affair from their rather last-minute um, inaugural Super Saturday event at, at Sebring, the virtual Sebring, um, uh, last month. And this was that the first race was really done in a in a reaction due to the cancellation of the uh, the postponement of the Mobile One Twelve Hours of Sebring, and and you could tell that you know drivers were sort of thrown together. They didn't have liveries. The um, you know it was still relatively new thing i think that was the first weekend that iRacing was actually broadcasting um races you know with real world drivers in in online and on on tv and all of a sudden we're seeing that become a commonplace now if you turn on your tv to nbc sports network or, or fox sports one with other forms of racing but um anyway fast forward one month later and what's now called the imsa iRacing pro series and it seemed like a real race. I, I was completely blown away by the realism, the the commentary from from Radio Lama, which led by John Hindoff. Um, they did a, a great job the first race, the race as well, given the circumstances. But this one seemed so much more polished. Um, the presentation um, we had live timing and scoring through uh, in, in, through an independent um, scoring provider that typically provides scoring for a, a lot of the sports car races around the world. They've had they've uh, got into the iRacing uh, uh, databases to, to provide scoring. Um, there was a post-race um, press conference via teleconference. Um, the series was sending official screenshots from their, uh, from their uh, uh, contracted photo agency, um, LAT, which was pretty funny to sort of see every single facet of, of an IMSA weekend sort of coming to life in virtual form. And... Um, as you said, Bruno Spengler took the win. Um, it was actually his second in a row. He he also won in the, the Super Saturday Sebring race, but um, this one was a little less straightforward. While it was still a BMW-dominated event, uh, we had the four GTs lead early. Um, uh, Rodrigo Fluker, um, in, reigning IMSA prototype challenge uh, champion, um, led from the start from the pole um, in his Ford GT. He ultimately picked up some damage on his car and um, lost some time in the pits while he got, had that repaired. That came prior to a competition caution, which was the first time the um, IMSA had imposed this in this series, which sort of uh, shook up the field a little bit. It brought everybody back together um, halfway through the race. And um, once the restart happened, the, the BMWs kind of just went into their own. The interesting thing is that Spengler 
was leading, although he had a clash with Paul Holton in another in another BMW that was under the Compass Racing banner. Um, that briefly put Philip Eng into the lead in the other factory BMW, one of the multiple factory BMWs, actually, until um, he had an accident with the sister Compass entry of Corey Fergus just one lap later. So Spengler got the lead back. He ended up winning, but then he had to hold off a hard-charging um, Shane Van Gisbergen in an Aimvaster Sullivan um, entered BMW. So you get this, you get the idea here. I think that the majority of the teams are in BMWs. That is quite interesting. Um, you know, we could get into a bit of a BOP talk, I think, now in high racing a little bit, because I think there might be a bit of an advantage to the, the BMW platform. But um, still, it was a very entertaining race. Um, reading some comments post post race, people were saying that was one of the best I racing esports races they've seen, and and I have to agree. I I was blown away by how it all was orchestrated. The actual racing on track, there was split strategy up front with with Spengler and and the factory BMWs opting to double stint their tires, where where Van Gisbergen pitted um, during their his mid race stop to get new fresh uh, Michelin virtual tires. So. Um, we saw it all play out where Van Gisbergen was closing in because he had fresher tires. And this, and at a place like Laguna Seca, where tire deg is really, really key, um, it played into the full simulation. And, and I, I was just really, really impressed. Well, like you said, there was a lot of polish to it, and, and clearly it's been well-received. I think the one thing that people wish that we could see implemented, and obviously there's limitations you, but because iRacing doesn't have all of the cars scanned in, we'd love to see multi-class racing. We'd love to see the prototypes. Love to see some of the GT3 cars. But uh, I think we're going to have to make do with the GTE cars. And it's nice to see that teams and drivers from other classes have been folded in and able to compete and share the spotlight a little bit, even if it's not in the type of car that, that typically they're driving on an IMSA race weekend. Exactly. Yeah, you saw Compass, you saw AVS. Here's teams that, you know, run McLaren or, or Lexus machinery, and those cars aren't in the sim. Um, you know, we iRacing does have GT3 cars, but it's only limited, I think, to four, three or four manufacturers. So I think IMSA's elected to keep it at GTLM for now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think long term, it would be great to see all the IMSA cars integrated. But um, for I know firsthand how big of a process this is for a a car to be added into a sim like this um there's licensing issues number one and i'm sure you know that could possibly be sorted but um iRacing does a very very detailed laser scan of each car so they take a real life car and scan it in with lasers and um, um cutting edge technology as the same way they do with the tracks so um, this isn't something that can be done overnight by the iRacing people and Quite honestly, the the sim has gone gangbusters in the last couple of weeks. I think they've nearly doubled their subscriber base ever since um, we've been uh, sort of in in this uh, shelter in place situation. So um, I think the the current situation with IMSA is that it's, it's the best as it can can be. I think it's providing some great racing. There was a lot fewer accidents at this race, so it seemed like the drivers were taking it a little bit more seriously, or or maybe just having more practice with the sim because. Um, you know, it's everybody has varying levels of, of experience prior to all of this happening. But, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about the, the IMSA iRacing Pro Series. Really looking forward to their next round in two weeks' time. That'll be at Mid-Ohio on April 30th. 
That's right, and we actually, within the last week, got some more details on the rest of the calendar. Rounds at uh, Road America as well as VIR were added. That will be May 14th and 28th, respectively. And then the 2020 IMSA iRacing Pro Series concludes June 11th at Watkins Glen. So I like the bi-weekly approach. You're not oversaturating the market, and it gives the teams and drivers some extra time to get some practice in, and that probably does lead to cleaner racing and more competitive racing as the drivers and teams get get to spend a bit more time dialing everything in ahead of the race itself. Of course, that wasn't the only racing we had going on this week. We had the second round of the SRO America GT Rivals Series, which pits drivers from the GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS, Pirelli GT4 America, and TC America, plus some invited um, sim racers as well. And it was one of the invitees that was victorious over the weekend at Virtual Misano, John, with Josh Staffen picking up a dominant win holding off TC America competitor Kevin Bohm, who ended up second, but uh, had some interesting challenges early on. Brian Heitkotter was in the mix for the second consecutive week, as was Kitten Cook, but both of them fell by the wayside about midway through the race. Yeah, Ryan, this was another exciting one um, with J- Josh Staffen taking the victory. Like you said, um, some strong challenges from from Kenton Cook and Brian Heitkotter, who won the first race of the season um, la- uh, two weeks ago at uh, uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Um, ultimately, the, the sim racer, he's 24 years old from New Jersey. He led every lap from pole, similar fashion to what Heikider did a, a couple weeks ago. But I'd say this one was a little more entertaining in that um, he came under pressure quite quite heavily by Heikider until um, Brian made a slight mistake, went over some curbs and, and damaged his uh, Nissan GTR and um, ultimately ended up finishing sixth at fifth, actually, after a post-race penalty handed to one of the sim racers. Um, we don't actually know the reason for that. I think it was an 80-second penalty there. But um, it was a really good race uh, from, from SRO America, um, again, using a different platform than what IMSA is using. This is Assetto Corsa Competizione, the official um, game of, of GT World Challenge and, and SRO globally. But, um, yeah, I, I would have to say that this produced some really, really great results. And like you mentioned uh, briefly about Kenton Cook, he's been really impressive in both championships. He's been doing the IMSA series as well, and he's had some bad luck over there just as he's had over in, in the SRO America. But it's interesting to see him jump back and forth between the two different um, sim platforms in different cars, different tracks, and um, and still really be one of the routine challengers there. Um, he was unfortunately um, handed a drive-through penalty for contact, um, which ult- ultimately he didn't serve in time and was ultimately disqualified from the the race on Sunday. But um, he's been routinely one of the quickest um, in in both series, so that's been really cool to see. While we had a lot of sim racers uh, uh, take up the top positions in GT Rivals, um, Kevin Bohm put in a really good run in the Mercedes-AMG uh, to finish second. He was the highest real-life racer. Um, he drives for DXDT in uh, TC America, driving a Honda Civic. He's uh, has a lot of experience with the uh, touring, touring cars um, over the years, both in IMSA and SRO. But, um, yeah, I, I was, again, impressed by this race as well. And it's really great to sort of see this type of racing sort of 
happen every you know every week or every every couple of weeks just to keep us entertained and keep us busy writing about something um, that's racing related because we're going through challenging times right now and and a lot of people don't have a lot to look forward to at times but if you can tune in uh, to the live streams or watch some of the the, the virtual racing on, on TV for IndyCar or NASCAR or whatever it may be, it really helps keep your mind off of things. And, and it's a great, uh, a great way to sort of put you back into the, the, the racing mode. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I certainly enjoy having something like this to look forward to uh, every weekend with the GT Rivals stuff. And I mean, the folks with Dim- Dinner with Racers, they're doing their Thursday Night Blunder every week as well, which uh, is maybe a little less serious, but uh, but equally entertaining for different reasons. So there's lots of things out there. Also racing over uh, the last week or so, we had uh, the Porsche e-racing event. You can find results from that in our weekly racing roundup. We were supposed to have a Trans Am e-racing event, but in the brave new world we live in, John, it was scuppered by a server issue. So we had to have a postponement <laughs> of a uh, of an e-racing event, unfortunately, to report upon. But you can see results from those future events from Trans Am. I'm sure they'll get that sorted out in a future weekly racing roundups at sportscar365.com. All right, enough e-racing for the moment. Let's get into some real-world news and big news out of Belgium with the Belgian government stepping in and effectively extending its ban on mass gatherings to a point that it's going to affect some major events at Spa, including the total 24 hours of Spa, John. We know now that that event has been postponed. We're waiting on an official rescheduled date, but some other events as well in doubt, including events from the WEC and ELMS. Yeah, yeah, Ryan. When this measure came out um, last week, it immediately affected multiple races at Spa, including the Formula One race that's scheduled for the end of August. Um, this could be extended even further. Um, this came from the Belgian Prime Minister, and immediately SRO um, acted and and decided to uh, quote fully respect the government's decision and postpone the total 24 hours of Spa. Like you said, no word has been given on when it'll be rescheduled. Um, The press release hinted that it could be sometime in the fall, which I guess would make sense. Um, But it has some implications on where it will be scheduled in terms of the calendar for Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli, as um, that series has some, doesn't really leave much room in terms of scheduling um, especially if some teams want to use the same equipment at multiple races. Um, we still have IGTC races at Suzuka in mid-August, Indianapolis in early October, and Kailami at the end of November scheduled. Again, those could be postponed or changed. Um, I would say the Indianapolis date is probably more of a more locked in than it ever has been, um, thanks to the IndyCar uh, doubleheader now with the Harvest GP weekend there. But um, it'll be interesting to see when Spa is rescheduled too. But um, surprisingly, now I would say this is a surprise just because I've sort of expected other series to sort of act relatively quickly with the government restrictions as well. But um, WEC has stated that they're still planning to have their race at Spa on August 15th, giving no further detail on how or it'll be done. Um, we believe, and really the only other realistic option, if they were to have it on the 15th, is to have it run behind closed doors. That means without spectators. But even that poses the question due to the sheer number of people involved in the organization of the WEC, the number of teams, um, crew members, drivers, media, 
Um, how will an event like that be orchestrated? We haven't really had anything like that yet in sports car racing as a standalone event. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that comes to fruition. Um, WEC has stressed that their calendar remains provisional. So I guess it could change. I guess I think they're also almost hoping that the restrictions from the put down by the Belgian government could change before then as well. So um, it's an interesting tactic when you sort of compare the two different championships and how they're approaching it. Here, SRO immediately postponed it, you know, no questions asked. And then WEC slash ACO, which also has the ELMS race the week before on August 9th, I believe, um, they're sort of taking a wait and see approach. So um, interesting times. Very much so, and a fluid situation as ever. So we'll do our best to keep on top of that. And as more postponements keep pouring in, I think immediately a lot of thoughts go to the race teams and the employees of those race teams that are going to really struggle the longer we go without racing. And I think I think some interesting comments from Renaud Dufour, who's an engineer for Black Falcon, a pretty major GT3 team in Europe, uh, talking about the implications of these postponements and cancellations and what a year without racing might do to the teams. And it's a pretty dire forecast if you read what he had to say in our story. Yeah, and let's be clear, this is the opinion of one person, but I'm sure others feel the same way. And, um, you know, you look at the situation where teams are not able to run right now. A lot of teams have um, furloughed their employees or have cut their salaries um, others are trying to stay afloat by keeping them with full salaries. But eventually, if there's no racing, they're going to have to do something because the only way race teams get paid, especially, you know, pro-am teams, teams of gentlemen drivers, um, is actual race events. And I think this is why a lot of championships, including SRO, has been really adamant on trying to fulfill a full championship of 10 rounds or 12 rounds, whatever the championship is, because a lot of teams are paid per the round by either, you know, the, the drivers or sponsors or manufacturers or, or whatnot. And, and um, it's, it could really impact um, things. Our colleague Laurent Mercier from Endurance Info spoke to Renault for this article, and um, he was quoted in, in saying that, um, the results could end up being catastrophic. Um, quote, even if you have to race behind closed doors, too bad. If you don't race in 2020, many teams will no longer be there in 2021. Without the 2020 season, motorsport may not be able to recover. What teams can afford not to do the 2020 season and still be there in 2021? Teams cannot afford it, as well as for other freelancers and motorsports professionals. Qu- end quote. So um, some pretty strong words there. And, and again, this is coming from an engineer, and he's one of the most well-respected engineers in the GT3 world, and he has his uh, ear on the pulse for sure. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the next couple months. I, I think we'll get a better picture on whether we'll be able to go back racing or not. Um, it seems that w- if we do this year, it'll most likely initially be behind closed doors. And that presents its own set of challenges, I think, too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes it very difficult for event promoters, for one thing. But uh, without a doubt, the sanctioning bodies are aware of the, the struggles that the teams are going through. I think you made the point earlier, and it's a good one, that that, that appears to be why all these sanctioning bodies are trying so hard to run the full complement of races or at least events um, 
to to try and, and make up for for this shortfall potentially and, and to keep the teams in good financial shape but at cer- a certain point it might not be in their hands right if governments are stepping in and saying you can't have mass events or travel restrictions are there that unfairly um, affect some teams or manufacturers more than others there's not a whole lot that these organizers can do even if they have the best intentions in mind exactly and i think we spoke about it on last week's show that i think the resumption of racing will be largely dictated around the gov- lack lack of government restrictions or the easing of the government restrictions in certain t- countries and so um, there's a lot still to play for and lots of question marks over how we go back to racing and when that said there are some championships openly talking about starting to begin that process china gt which i think we've talked about in the past is likely one of the first that uh, could be able to come back online. And then recently, some comments from NLS, which used to be known as VLN, targeting a return to racing as well, but behind closed doors. Yeah, that's right. And um, with NLS, that's been a bit controversial, seeing some comments initially about the potential for them to go behind closed doors, especially with the sheer number of competitors that take part in those races. Usually you have upwards of 150, sometimes 200 cars, and those pit lane that pit lane at Nurburgring is completely packed. So there's really no way to do any kind of social distancing if that was the that is the plan or any way of you know uh, of trying to be mindful of that situation. So um, we'll have to wait and see. We we know that Germany is one of the most progressive countries right now in trying to uh, move forward and and reenter reopen its economy and then they're looking at a lot of different options right now so um, maybe by july there will be better uh, measures in place for this to happen so uh, we look forward to seeing how that will unfold Um, there's been talk also of imsa potentially returning to racing behind closed doors Um, series president john doonan um, when asked about the situation in a a teleconference last week, admitted that it could be an option for them. They're going to have to look at it. I think he, that was the words he said. Um, So uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens there. Um, The next IMSA race on the calendar right now is the six hours of the Glen in late June. Um, That is in New York, which is the heaviest hit state in the U S in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. But this is in upstate New York in the, the Finger Lakes region where it's not as severely impacted as New York City. But as some other people have, have sort of you know, mentioned, I, I think it might be difficult getting international drivers into the country for an event like this, um, especially if they have to transit through New York City. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, the week after uh, the the planned six hours at a Glen is the race at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And we know Canada is um has some further restrictions i think placed until the end of june so that puts it right up against the clock there in terms of whether the ctmp round can happen but um again all this is provisional all these things can change um dunan was uh uh, open to the the thought of having to possibly reschedule some other events admitting that there's gaps in their calendar Later in the year, they could possibly fit in. And also, he hasn't ruled out potential joint events with with IndyCar and SRO America. And I think we've talked about this on, on recent um, shows that, you know, it's great to see the other sanctioning bodies working together in the U.S. Um, to try to bring the best possible shows to fans in 
in what is surely going to be a, a challenging and sort of compromised second half of the year if we do get back racing. Definitely true. So we'll see how that develops. John Doonan also spoke candidly in recent days about the continued progress on the LMDH front. We were all so so buoyed with optimism coming out of that announcement at Daytona, looking forward to getting to Sebring where more details would be laid out. And it's been pretty quiet since then, and I think for good reason. So many of the manufacturers involved have been heavily hit by this pandemic, and, and not to mention everyone on the racing side of things. But John continues to talk about the continued progress that is happening behind the scenes, and all we can do at this point is, is take him at his word, and, and assuming that is the case, I, I feel relatively encouraged that things continue to be on track despite uh, rather dire outlooks uh, in the automotive industry moving forward. Yeah, John spoke um, in an exclusive interview on Midweek Motorsport last week with John Hindoff and um, explained the situation on LMDH, and he basically said that yeah, there, there's been great progress. Um, they're very, very close to finalizing it and, and getting it sent off to manufacturers, but they want to be respectful and and mindful of the situation. And I think he used the words progress with sensitivity. And um, that's in regards to the current health crisis we're facing right now and not wanting to release information about the future and be insensitive to what millions of people around the world are, are facing right now with COVID-19 and also being sensitive to the manufacturers that probably don't have a lot of indication or any kind of approval of, you know, wouldn't have any way of a board approval of greenlighting such a project right now in the middle of an economic crisis or uncertainty over where their companies are headed post COVID-19. So um, I, I think that there's a lot of questions still up in the air in terms of how many manufacturers would be ready to commit? Um, and also, could this potentially be pushed back a year or two in terms of the timeline? Um, John wouldn't directly say um, whether it, it's still confirmed for 2022 or not. I know speaking to Gerard Nouveau a, a couple of weeks ago, he said it is. There's no, there's no hesitation on that. But John was a little more reserved on that. So um, we'll have to see if it ends up being delayed. We've seen a lot of regulations and, and plans in other motorsports landscapes um, be delayed or because of the current situation. Um, I think Formula One, Formula E come to mind uh, right away. So it wouldn't surprise me to see if this is pushed back a year, but um, I think it would have pretty dire consequences if it does in not necessarily in IMSA, but I think in WEC because they're kind of on life support as it is with the current LMP1 regs. I think they need new regulations for 2022. And if it's not um, LMDH or Hypercar or, or whatever, then I think they may end up struggling a bit. The good news is that WEC does have Hypercar coming in 2021. Um, maybe that could get them through a couple of years, but still I'm, I, I, I'm not too certain on the, the long-term prospects of that platform anyway. So um, interesting times as always. Definitely so. Well, let's wrap up the show this week with a couple of listener questions that came in from last week. The first one came in on Twitter with the hashtag AskDoubleStint from AtFootworks. And uh, they say, since Sebring, the 12-hour, is now moved to November, what do you guys think of doing something different with it for this one time? Maybe moving the start time to early morning like Bathurst or making it a sun-up to sundown race? That's a good idea because... 
obviously with less daylight in November, it will definitely impact the amount of nighttime running this event has. Um, I personally would love a, a 6 a.m. start. I'm a morning person to begin with, so that would be really cool. Um, I love the Bathurst concept of, of starting um, right before sunrise, and, and quite frankly, I think that would be a really cool format. What, what do you think, Ryan? I think if you're going to try anything, this is the year to do it. If you've been sitting in, on an idea and you think it's too radical, uh, this is the time to roll it out. I think any any idea is going to be welcomed at this point, and, and why not? It is a unique running of the race. It's probably a one-off running it in November. We certainly hope so. So why not do something to set it apart? I like the idea very much. So uh, thank you very much for writing in. And our final question comes from Matt. He says, do you know why the Asian Le Mans Series and GT World Challenge Asia only focus their races on the eastern side of Asia? Besides costs, shouldn't these series also explore going over to the west side of Asia, Bahrain, Qatar, the UAE as well? Your thoughts? That's a really good question, and it made me sort of take a step back and, and think, you know, both of us actually, and, and trying to figure out what Asian championships actually have rounds in the Middle East, and I can't personally come up with one that actually does. Um, I know V8 Supercars had a race in the Middle East at one point, um, but that's an Australian championship. You know, Asian Lama obviously had the race at the Bend um, this year. They're not going back next season. Um, due to uh, what they claimed was, you know, um, cost wanting to cost control things, and and obviously with the, the the new developments here with the economic crisis worldwide, I think that it makes sense to sort of keep it in the eastern part of of Asia and not move into Oceania, but not not to return to Oceania. But I, I think, you know, logistics would be more difficult to. to go to the Middle East. Um, I know it technically still is in Asia, but, um, you know, you look at some other championships, like, you know, even um, a GT World Challenge Asia, they don't have a race in the Middle East. Um, Super GT um, doesn't. Um, trying to think of any other sports car championships in Asia. But anyway, the the it's a good question. And and, and I, I, I would really have it just come down to costs. And and maybe have it have a Asian Lama be in the example where they ran one year at the bend and then now they're not returning there. And that would be a similar cost to do a race in the Middle East compared to maybe going to Australia. I, I would have to think, you know, putting stuff on a boat, um, time away. It's about a similar distance between the two uh, locations. So, um, yeah, good, good, good question. But um, you don't really have a solid answer for you on that. Well, I, yeah, again, I know you said besides cost, and it's really hard to, to look anything beyond that because that probably is the biggest determining factor. Although, in the case of the Asian Le Mans series, that is a very short schedule, and sending mm. a bunch of equipment long distances on boats, and they're not going to do air freight for cost reasons, I think that, that makes it difficult to get all the races in in the short amount of time. And you look at the teams that make up those championships, they are Pacific Rim-based teams, by and large, and maybe that would change if you started moving to the Middle East, but uh, I think uh, at the moment it seems like that that is the focus, and, and I, I don't see that changing anytime soon, but it is an interesting thought, and maybe something that can be considered 
down the road. Well, thank you very much for writing in. If you have a question for our next show, you can leave it in the comment section at sportscar365.com along with this podcast. Or you can use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter, and we'll get to it on our next edition of the show, which is coming up next week. Uh, We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have some time to help us out with that. But for now, we'll talk to you next week with our next edition of DoubleStint.